So turn with me to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. And I want to look at uh, verses 13 to 23. But I'm going to read just from verse 10 uh, down to 23. Um, Before we do that, let's bow our heads again in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for for your words. And we pray you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that would receive your instruction. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 10, Romans 14, verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of our brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food... Destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So we're in a a section of Paul's letter, which is quite practical, Um, and section, verse 14 verse 1 through to 15 13 is a, is a very practical section about uh, Christian life together. Um, and as we introduced it last time, to a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the first section of this, uh, first part of the chapter. Um, threaded through this is the whole idea that Jesus is Lord. Uh, and if Jesus is Lord, and that's been at the heart of the gospel message that he's been proclaiming, then that necessarily has implications for uh, Christian living. Uh, So if Jesus truly is Lord, it's going to change our lives, and uh, we're going to be uh, different men and women, and boys and girls. So last time we saw that one one important principle of life is that the church uh, welcomes newcomers into the church. 
And that sounds obvious, perhaps, but uh, when you bear in mind that those newcomers will often come with kind of baggage from uh, their past life and uh, maybe have convictions about things that not everybody shares, uh, the question is, how do you uh, handle people like that who come in with different convictions about things? Um, And it's important to recognize that you know, whether it's somebody who's converted to Jesus Christ or, or somebody who maybe comes from another church uh, or maybe you yourself. You, you, we're, none of us are fully formed yet in Jesus Christ. None of us are perfect. Uh, we are growing towards maturity. But we're not there yet and it'll be a long time before we are. And so when we come together and when newcomers come in, then we're going to find that there are things that, uh, with which we differ. Uh, there are going to be different uh, problems. Maybe, uh, you know, and often new people when they come in, they don't fully grasp the implications of all the, of the gospel. Maybe you don't even grasp all the, full, all the doctrinal implications. So they may not be believing everything properly yet. They believe enough in Jesus Christ is central, but they maybe don't believe everything that you believe. And so they find they come in with all kinds of maybe strange ideas about belief and practice. And Paul's principle has been, welcome the newcomer. Don't try and immediately try and put them right and sort them out. <laughs> That's what we like to do sometimes. We've got to sort that person out. That person needs a good dose of teaching on this. And maybe they do, but you know, be patient, be careful. With people, love them. Love them more than anything. Paul is concerned that in, in all of this, we, we preserve the unity of the body of Jesus Christ, the unity of uh, the church, the unity of the fellowship. And that unity is not about a, a kind of conformity of practice uh, or any other kind of thing, but, but actually unity in Jesus Christ. Stay united in Jesus Christ. And often you find that people who have different convictions about certain practices are still hold those, which they differ with from you, but they, they hold those convictions seeking to honor Christ. And it's not for us to dissuade them from seeking to honor Christ. It's one of the problems that can arise in church life, and you may be aware of it, is you know, one person develops a set of convictions about something, and then believes and becomes very passionate about them, and then believes that everybody should immediately have those same convictions as you, straight away. And we need to learn patience and love to our brothers and sisters, and take our time, uh, all the time seeking to preserve unity. Uh, in the fellowship of Jesus Christ. Of course, the particular problem that Paul is concerned about here is that uh, you know, he's got both Jews and Gentiles in the congregation. He's, this is a church that Paul's never been to yet. He's going to get there eventually. But at the moment, he's not been there. But he knows that there are, there's probably Jews coming back from Jerusalem on Pentecost that started the church in Rome. They're mentioned in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 2. Um, but it's quite likely that most of the Christians there are Gentiles now. Um, but you can just imagine 
those two groups of people with very different religious backgrounds, one pagan, uh, and then one used to sacrificing meat to idols, and another Jewish living according to the Levitical law. And you can find that there's, there's a difficulty of conviction about what you should do about certain kinds of meats. How, do you, how can you eat together if you have different convictions about what you should eat? And there may arise a, a struggle of power or authority within the church. You can see how difficult that could be. Uh, and this, this issue of food is a, is a touchstone issue for the church. Uh, Gentiles have no problem eating food sacrificed to idols, perhaps. Or maybe some of them do, because they become Christians and they think they shouldn't. And then there's the, the Jews who think, well, you, you can't touch anything unclean. So how can you Gentiles be eating that food? And you, know, you can see how these kind of divisions arise up. And it's, it's probably a rare thing in a church uh, to, find, to find nobody is looking at somebody else. You know, it'd be a strange thing if somebody wasn't in the church wasn't looking at somebody else and shaking their head a little bit about that person. I'm not picking on anybody particularly, but it may be you. <laughs> it's easy, isn't it? I've done it. You look at so-and-so and you think, what, what a waster. Um, you need to sort them out. And maybe you think that. Maybe you think that about somebody in this church today. And you have to be very careful about that kind of thinking. Of course, what we're, not, we're not talking here about um, fundamental issues of salvation here. There is clarity about salvation. Salvation is in through Jesus Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. That's so simple from Romans chapter 3. And Paul is clear in other places that if churches get that wrong, then they deserve to be condemned. Just read Galatians chapter 1. If you get the gospel wrong, anathema. They deserve to be uh, cast out. Nor is Paul particularly talking, I think, about personal preferences, such as what kind of clothes you wear at at worship. (laughs) Some people get very wound up about that, so I don't care. As long as all the right bits are covered. Um, Honestly. It's it's just not a problem for me, but um, for some people are really wound up about it. And it's not that sort of preference that Paul is really speaking about. What he's talking about are people who have certain kinds of religious convictions. Uh, So they're quite important, but they are about secondary matters. And we need to keep those secondary matters second. The, The danger is that secondary matters become primary matters and become hot button issues. So, how are we to to stop? Secondary matters becoming primary matters in our thinking. And Paul, I think, here puts before us certain principles that should shape our thinking. Evan's having a hard time, isn't he? (laughs) Um, So Paul's putting before us certain principles that should shape our thinking. And last time we, we looked at that first one, which is you know, when, when a newcomer comes into the church, then just welcome them, love them, receive them in. Don't get too wound up about their differences. 
And don't try and immediately set them right, but just welcome them into the fellowship. And remember that God is the judge of all, and he is the one who will hold people to account. But in these verses, Paul has three more things to say, three more principles which, uh, which should seek to build into our lives. And the first one is in verse 13, and it's never be a stumbling block to another Christian. Never be a stumbling block to another Christian. And it really is important that we make this kind of personal decision. That I will never be a stumbling block to another Christian. Now Paul, I think, sees him... Paul talks about weak, those weak in faith, weak brothers... And strong brothers. And Paul, I think, puts himself in that latter category of being strong. He says in verse 5, chapter 15, verse 1, we who are strong. So he's referring to himself, I think, as a strong Christian. And, and that strength means, for example, in 14, verse 14, he says, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. So for he himself... You know, it's, food is food and should be eaten with thanksgiving to God. Nothing is unclean. So he sees himself as a strong person. And as a Jew, he has come to that conviction that, if, that all the, the Levitical laws have been uh, have passed away with Christ. So Christ has come, fulfilled the law. And so all of those laws are no longer necessary because Christ has come. That's a, that's a big story, but uh, that's the principle that lies behind it. And so Paul, along with all the other apostles, has learned that all foods are clean. You may remember that occasion in Acts chapter 10, where Peter has that dream, that vision, of uh, a, a sheet coming down, and uh, all the animals, and some of them are clean, and some of them are unclean. And uh, the Lord says in the vision to Peter, eat Eat any, any of the animals. And Peter says, Lord, how can I do that? Some of these things are unclean and I can't eat unclean things. And the Lord says, nothing's unclean. They're all clean. But the problem is, in the church, supposing somebody has a conscience about certain foods... Maybe it has a problem with the fact that you feel free to eat something, Paul, but somebody else has a problem with it. Does Paul just blast on regardless and say, I'm just going to eat whatever I like in front of you people because you better just get in line? And Paul thinks, no, I have a responsibility not to put a stumbling block in the way of a brother or a sister. Let me just say a word about weak brothers and strong brothers. The thing is that a weak brother, in Paul's thinking, is actually a person who has a strong conscience. Has a very, very clear conviction about something. But they have weak faith. And the issue for Paul is living by faith. You see that there in the, the end of in verse 23. 
Whoever doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. That's such a profound principle. If you don't do anything by faith, you're actually acting in sin. I wonder if you've ever grasped that. If you're not acting, it doesn't matter what it is. If you're not acting in faith, you are acting in sin. And so for Paul, a weak person is a person with a strong conscience but may not have much faith and is doubting all the time. You often find that, don't you? People are are kind of uncertain about something. And so in, in order to try and dispel the uncertainty, they double down on something, on a conviction about something, and say, you've got to do it this way. You've got to do it this way. But all the time they're betraying that they don't really trust the Lord in the midst of it. What matters in this situation is love. See verse 15, Paul raises that question of love. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Love always takes precedence over personal conviction about your freedom and your enjoyment of the Christian life. And that love comes through realizing the significance of the gospel as an expression of Christ's love for sinners. So Christ has loved that sinner. And you, therefore, must love that sinner too. And not seek to destroy that sinner's uh, shaky conscience. And so you see, if I assert my freedom... And, other, and think that others just have to suck it up because I'm, I've got, I'm free, then I'm not any longer walking in love. And that person doesn't fully understand the gospel of Jesus Christ then, much as you may proclaim it. And it's a principle of being fixed on Christ's love and that working out into the fellowship And therefore, I will not put a stumbling block in front of a brother or sister. But secondly, what's the second principle? Here's the second principle, end of verse 19. Uh, Sorry, verse 19. Let us then pursue which makes that which... Let us... So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Upbuilding. Let's resolve, let's commit ourselves to acting in a way that seeks to build people up and not tear them down. We can, we can often forget that when we are content to exercise our liberty... And maybe even flaunt our liberty in front of others. Where you may, you may say to yourself, well there's nothing wrong with it, I'm free to do this, I can do this as I want to. But the real question is not whether it's right or wrong. The real question is, am I going to build this person up? 
It's not a question of right and wrong. Often it isn't. It's a question of, am I going to build this person up? And you could say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in Christ. I'm free in Christ. I can do as, uh, however I see fit. But that's not the question either. It's not about your freedom. It's about seeking to build everyone up. That's a principle that trumps your freedom. Now, of course, it's true that a weak brother or sister... In other words, a brother or sister that has a strong conscience about something, but is weak in faith. It's true that you know, a person can be misguided in that way. You can have a strong conscience about something, but your conscience is not quite right because of your sin. And, you, and that person may, may worry, therefore, about something about which there is no need to worry In Paul's case, it's, it's this question of food. And Paul eats anything, but some have, have a conscience about certain kinds of foods. So what are the rest of us supposed to do about that? And the answer is not to try to, to set them right immediately, this weak brother or sister, and to step all over their consciences. See, what you need to realize is, what we need to realize is, there needs to be a spiritual change of heart. And so what's our response when we know that what's needed here is is an inner change? An inner change that only God can do. We come to prayer. We pray for our dear brother and sister. And we pray that they would have a deeper appreciation of the Bible's teaching, of its theology. And we pray that the ministry of the word, week by week, would have its profound effect and change the mind and the heart. That's why it's so important for Christians to turn up at worship. And almost on pain of death, only, only in death or serious illness should people not come to worship. It's so important because the minister, I'm actually one who believes that the ministry of the word and the cumulative effect of the ministry of the word is so important in the Christian life. And so many Christians don't grasp that. Think if I just have a private quiet time for five minutes a day, even if that, then somehow I'm going to grow. But you need the word of God. You need it. You may not believe you need it, but you need it. And so we pray for our brothers and sisters with their weak consciences. and their, Well, their strong consciences, but their weak faith. We pray for them that they become more in faith. They grow in faith. Begin to see things as they truly are. To see their liberty in Jesus Christ. And so they change. And meanwhile, we're patient with them. We're patient. And we care for them. We love them. We don't cut that person out because they differ with us about a few things. But we include them. And we share with them. We share with, in fellowship with them. We try our best to have that fellowship, that unity in Jesus Christ together. We open up our homes to one another. We don't exclude people that we differ with. We share our lives with one another. And in all of this way, 
God is able to shape a person and to shape a person's conscience, gloriously renewing it until they begin to see things clearly. And meanwhile, we're patient with them. So always seek to build up. Always seek to build people up. Here's the third thing, last thing. Let's enjoy our liberty without necessarily always exercising that liberty. That sounds like a strange thing. Let's enjoy our liberty without necessarily always exercising our liberty. You look at verses 20 and 21. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything indeed is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine, or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Paul says, I'm free to eat whatever I like, but it's good. It is good not to eat. It is good not to eat if it causes your brother to stumble. And that reminds us that just because I'm free to do something doesn't mean I always have to do it and flaunt it. And you can enjoy it, therefore, without... You can enjoy your liberty and your freedom without necessarily always exercising it. And so it's really important we get our heads around this. Uh, I mean, just think about it. If, you, if, you, if you're of that conviction that uh, I am free in Jesus Christ and therefore I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, and people just need to suck it up, uh, you're, if you can't give that up, For the sake of your brother or sister. You're actually in bondage, aren't you? That's weird, isn't it? You think you're free. But you're actually in bondage because you have this conviction that you've got to do it. You may think to yourself, I'm showing the world how to be free in Jesus Christ. And actually, you're causing your brother and sister to stumble. And you're saying, I can't give this up. Because I'm, because strangely, because I'm free. It's a paradox, isn't it? In stating your freedom, you're actually showing that you're in bondage. And the evidence that you're not in bondage is, I don't have to be exercise my liberty in something because I care about my brothers and sisters. Martin Lloyd Jones, uh, the great 20th century Welsh preacher in Wales and then in London, uh, was a smoker in his early ministry. That may shock some people, but he smoked. He enjoyed a cigarette every so often. And he didn't see a contradiction between smoking and being a Christian. It was something that he was able to enjoy. Maybe he would think differently now with all the, all the medical stuff we know now. But, but he was a doctor. He, he knew Something of that. But he had a freedom to, to smoke, you know, so he did. However, one time, this is in John, uh, Ian Murray's uh, biography, uh, one time he was settling down to prepare for a sermon. But before he could start his sermon preparation, he felt he wanted a cigarette in his hand. And so he, he didn't start his preparation. He needed to find his cigarette. 
And he hunted high and low for them. And he couldn't find them. He was a little bit irritated that he couldn't find them. And then he realized that in his freedom, he was actually in bondage. Because he couldn't carry on until he had found that cigarette. And so he gave up smoking from that day on. I think his wife continued, but he gave it up. Not because he thought smoking was wrong, but he just didn't want to be under its spell, if you like, under its bondage. But for all it could be free, he wasn't free. And true freedom was to give it up. You see, true freedom... To do something as a Christian is not seen in the fact that you do it, but actually in the fact that you may choose not to do it. That's when you see true freedom. And the point is this. We must never use our freedom to destroy the unity of the fellowship of the Church of Jesus Christ. You see, there is a sense in which the Christian is the most free person on earth, And subject to no one, only to God. And yet in that freedom, he or she is the most uh, obedient servant to fellow believers and subject to everyone. That's what true freedom looks like. It sounds like a paradox, but that's what true freedom looks like. To be Lord of all and servant of all at the same time. Friends, let's commit ourselves to these things. Let's commit ourselves to not be a stumbling block to another believer. Let's commit ourselves to seek to build up and not to tear down. Let's commit ourselves to enjoy our freedoms without being in bondage to our freedom. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, the wonderfully practical uh, words that is given to us this evening that the principles of the, of the spiritual life are not about so much about demarcating what is right and what is wrong, but rather about living in love and fellowship and seeking to serve one another. And we pray you'd build that into our lives and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.